the word of God to Jonah chapter 4, beginning in the ninth verse. We read, then God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? And he said, it is right for me to be angry even to death. Let us pray. Father, we come again in your presence. We need you every hour. Father, without you, there's nothing that can be done that has any real significance. And so, God, I come asking today, especially for an additional unction and strength from your spirit. I pray, O oh God, that the spirit would override the flesh. Pray, O oh God, that your presence would be seen and heard and that lives would be touched for the kingdom of God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Had a little competition there. Amen. And it definitely wasn't, was not the Lord. We want to uh, welcome all of our visitors and guests that are following us today online, and we are grateful for that medium of ministry, and we do want to always be in a position to give a word in season. In 2009, Taylor Swift, a giant in the country, music world and an emerging star in the pop industry was awarded the MTV VMA of the year for her song You Belong With Me. Of course we all knew that. As she started to give her acceptance speech to express her appreciation for the honor, the rapper Kanye West barged onto the stage. He unceremoniously snatches the microphone from Taylor Swift's hand, and he says to the audience, you all know who really deserves this award. It's really Beyonce. She should be up here getting this award for her video, The Single Ladies. Put a ring on it. When Kanye West left the stage, Taylor Swift was stunned and speechless after much public outrage the great and infamous Kanye West decided to apologize via Twitter a year later. He also consoled Taylor Swift by informing her that he had written a song for her. How gracious of him. Now what would lead a sane, clear-thinking person to do something so outrageous. 
while we may debate Kanye West's mental stability, I ain't trying to imply nothing. We all can agree on, on, on the fact that his actions made him the focus of the awards. He made sure that by the time the MTV Awards ended, that everybody was talking about Kanye West, not the other artists who had been awarded, and this was their special night. Everybody was talking about Kanye. And the actual footage of his actions went viral. Although you and I would never try to pull off such a stunt as Kanye West, but we get body slammed and arrested, and we're humble, we wouldn't do that. To get noticed by, by others, many people today participate on a very crowded stage called social media. We wrestle the microphone out of the hands of other Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Snapchat users with our own self-promotion, and I can top that. We want to be noticed. We want to have a large following. We're not leaving this world without people recognizing who we are. I, I'm, I'm not on Facebook that often, but I don't need to see your face. The way that some people seem to think is important, that what you're doing matters. Now, please don't misunderstand me. Without social media, the church doesn't have a voice. We don't have, we've given up our right to be heard. That's just the reality. And so social media is essential, uh, it's impactful, and the intention in terms of the, the original purpose for social media was to connect people from around the world. What it has become is a relationship destroyer and an opportunity for it to be about me. Unfortunately, many professing Christians bring the same spirit in the church. It's really all about what's in it for me. That's why 95% of the giving and the work that is done in the average church is done by 5% of the church. Too many people choose to stay away from church unless the entertainment value, and that's what church has become, a place so you can get entertained by the musicians and the pastors can tell you what you want to hear so that you can name it and claim it because they're not going to tell you about your sins. They're not going to tell you about changing. They're not going to tell you that you're wrong because you can go to the church up the street if they do. And so it's become more about us 
that God exists for our pleasure rather than we exist for the glory of God. Tell somebody it ain't about you. It ain't about you. It's just, it just not about you. Now, as we turn our attention to the word of God, I invite you to a scene that should have been a time of celebration of the awesomeness, awesomeness of God. Instead, we find the preacher, Jonah, the servant of God, snatching the mic out of God's hand. Listen to what the prophet says, or what the scripture says about the prophet. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. Now, we're going to talk about what made Jonah angry, what the it that displeased Jonah was. But before we do that, I want you to understand two quick things. The first thing that I want you to notice is that the Hebrew word that is used to describe how Jonah felt appears in our English Bible as two separate words. The Bible says that Jonah was displeased exceedingly. You could reverse the word. Jonah was exceedingly displeased. Those two compound words are one word in the Hebrew Bible. So you're not going to find Jonah, you won't find displeased and exceedingly, you'll find the word displeased with the emphasis on how much he was displeased. Jonah was displeased. He was disappointed, dissatisfied. He was upset. The idea in terms of the emphasis when you add the word exceedingly, the adverb, exceedingly, it means that he was, he was sickened. It turned his stomach. He felt like he could vomit based on the it that God had done. When I thought about Jonah, his response, and we're going to talk about the it that God had done, he really decided to crash God's party and make it about himself. I was reminded way back in the garden when Adam and Eve had their two sons, Cain and Abel. You know the story. I don't know if it was a Sunday or a Saturday or Monday, but they were at worship. Let's say they were at church. And both of the two sons, Cain, and Abel, they brought an offering to the Lord. I hope you brought yours. Amen, amen. I didn't say amen, but I hope you did. I, didn't, I don't know if you did. That's between you and the Lord. But the Bible says of Cain's offering in Genesis chapter 4, he gave out of, out of his substance. He gave out of. He reached into the bag and whatever came out, that's what God got. So let's say he came to church with a pocket full of ones, $1,000 in ones. He pulled out one of the, out of the 1,000, he left 90, 999 for himself. It wasn't money, but he gave out of. And then the scripture says that Abel gave of the first fruit. He gave God his best. Because guess what God deserves? Doesn't he deserve your best? 
Uh, when he blesses you, are you waiting for seconds and thirds? God, the Bible says, every good and perfect gift comes from the Father of light, who there is no turning or semblance of variation with him. God gives us his best. When we pray, we ain't praying for no hand-me-down blessing. We praying the Jabez blessing. Lord, expand my borders. Give me health. Give me blessing. Don't just stop with me, Lord. Well, see these little children of mine? No, no, we not. We want God's best. And so the, God, the Bible says that when God looked at the two offerings, he rejected Cain's offering because Cain's offering said two things about his relationship with God. One, it said that he did not respect God. And secondly, it said that he didn't have faith that whatever you give to God, he will replace in turn, not necessarily in, in, in kind. And so he lacked faith and he lacked respect. And so the scripture says that God did not accept Cain's offering, but he accepted Abel's. Now, you would think that when God would say to you, let me tell you what I want for Christmas. I don't want underwear. I don't want a T-shirt. Don't buy me shoestrings. But you can't give me a gift card. I'm not saying that that's what God would say. But you understand what I'm saying? God made it very clear. He said, if you do right, Cain, if you, if you give me your best, I will accept it. But if you don't give me your best, the sin is standing at the door. It's, it's waiting to devour you. It's waiting to take you down a road, Cain, that you don't want to go down. And the Bible says that Cain became angry. With God, if he could have, he would have picked the fight with God. He was displeased. But when we're angry with God, we know we can't be God, so we'll take it out on those who represent God to us. And so Cain slew his brother. But the point is that Cain, all he needed to do is change his actions. Because God, he's not so much concerned about how much you give as much as he is about why you give it. If your heart is not right, if you give out a heart of irreverence and, and lack of faith, the Bible says without faith, you can't please God. If you don't have the proper attitude, to, God doesn't want it. God is not so much concerned about how much he's concerned about your best. God wants your best. And so when you don't give God your best, I don't care how impressed anybody else may be, how impressed you may be patting yourself on the back. I gave more than I used to give. Is it your best? Is it your first? Did you put God's aside? This was the attitude of Jonah. He was exceedingly displeased. He was outraged. How dare God? I want you to know when what you should be celebrating about the move of God in the lives of other people upsets you. You can't rejoice with those who rejoice. It became about you. It's about you. It's not about God. Let's consider what upset Cain. And let me also add, when, when we give God out of, rather than the first fruit, our best, it reveals two things, and I've already talked about the lack of faith and the lack of respect for God. Now, what was so sickening? Let's go back to chapter 3. 
And beginning in verse 5, the Bible says, so the people of Nineveh believed God. Say, believe God. So Jonah reluctantly went back. He went to the city of Nineveh, the great city of Nineveh. You remember the story how God told him to go to Nineveh and preach to that great city for their wickedness had ridden up against him. And instead of going to Nineveh, Jonah gets on a boat. He goes in a 180 degree opposite direction. He goes to heading to Tarsus. God creates a great storm. Jonah's thrown overboard and God prepared a great fish. Jonah is swallowed and he goes to Fish Belly University for three days and three nights. I believe when Jonah went inside of the belly of the great fish, he had hair on his head, but the acid from the fish's digestive system burned all of his hair off. And not only was he bald, he looked like Beetlejuice bald. You ever watch Beetlejuice? Like somebody pulled chemicals on you? Now just imagine, you're inside of the digestive system of a fish, a great fish. And all those acids, so now he not only, maybe the folks really got saved because how scary Jonah looked walking through the city for three days talking about and yet in 40 days, God, this is, he preached a two-verse sermon. And the Bible says all of the people believe God. If God did that to Jonah, we absolutely don't want to experience it. So they all believe God. And then in the next verse, it says, even the king with the people, they, they repented. They, so they believed 120,000 people, the greatest single evangelistic outreach known in the history of mankind, a two-verse sermon. Everybody got saved. The king even tried to get the animals saved. He put them in sackcloth and ashes. And so they believed, they repented. And the Bible says that God forgave them. I hear somebody saying, praise the Lord. No, no, no. The thought that God would save the Ninevites sickened Jonah. It's like God saving the Ku Klux Klan. Or... You know, so, so three quick things. These, God had, had, had done this great work. And Jonah had enough. We're going we're gonna to see that Jonah knew the heart of God. That's not our problem. We know the heart of God. But it ain't about God when what God wants conflicts with what we want. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9 says, God is not slack concerning his promises, as some men count slackness, for he's not willing that any should perish, but that how many all should come unto repentance. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that who, whosoever, whosoever believe, let him come, let him believe. But we, we, we tend to have stipulations on the whosoever. It sickened Jonah that 120,000 people got saved. As far as Jonah was concerned, the man of God, the preacher, the Bible study student, the theologian, they could have died and gone to hell. In fact, that would have been his preference because Jonah knew. He knew something about the Assyrians. The Assyrians were to the nation of Israel, the ten tribes. They were the 
nation of Israel's Russia. They represented Israel's greatest enemy. They were the most powerful, the most strong, the most potentially devastating. So Jonah wanted, he didn't want them to be forgiven. He wanted them to be destroyed. Because if they were destroyed, then it would be easier for the nation of Israel. And here goes God, acting like God. How dare God forgive my enemies? How dare God? Now, before we get too hard on Jonah, not really caring about the souls of the lost, how many of us are committed to keeping the commandment that Jesus, he said, but when the Holy Ghost has come, you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. How many of us are allowing the spirit of God to take us to our Jerusalem? I'm talking about starting in your home, I'm talking about talking to your neighbors. I'm talking about talking to your family, telling them about the good news, the euangelion, the good news concerning Jesus, because when we don't, don't tell them we're acting like Jonah. And when we're acting like Jonah and we're upset that folk got saved, what we're saying is it's all about, it's about me. When it's about you or when it's about God, you want to do his will on earth as it's being done in heaven. You want God to be pleased rather than people patting you on the back and telling you how great you are and how magnificent. And he just didn't say his majesty. And we don't want nobody saying that. That would be too obvious. Jonah was upset that God had the audacity to forgive people that he considered his enemies. What do you want God to do to your enemies? Prayer, prayer table before them in prayer. Okay, amen. Amen, amen. Guess what? Until you've got a few enemies, God can't prepare the table. And the kind of table that God would prepare for you, it ain't no Mickey D's. It ain't no uh, David. This is, God says, it's a banquet table. It's a, it's a table that is overflowing with God's best, but he prepares it in the presence of our enemies. He, you, you can't have God allowing you to step over your enemies until you have some. He says your enemies will become your footstool. They become your platform to the next level of greatness that I'm taking you to. But Jonah was displeased exceedingly displeased. The Bible says that when one person gets saved, all of the angels in heaven rejoice. How many of us get excited when somebody says yes to Jesus? How many of us are praying for the lost because we understand that those who are lost are brought into the kingdom of God through much prayer? The Lord forgave them, all of them. And here you have Jonah at your, can you imagine inviting somebody to your party and they sitting there with their face all toe up, they ain't participating. You ever take somebody somewhere and you just, well, you went there to have a good time. You, you just went there to eat and get the food and look at, and now you're doing like, you got a counseling case. 
You ever been so around somebody who just sucks the air out of the room? I mean, everybody's having a good time. Now you feel like you've got to entertain them. Come on, you can join. It's all right. Everybody likes you. Can I, can I dance for you? Can I kick my foot up for you? Can I tickle you? Can you get with, you know, let's turn the, you know, everybody's listening to one kind of music, but no, because we, I don't like that kind of music. That, okay, so let me go talk to the guests. It's their party, but we're going to change the music just for you so that you can be happy. I want you to know so many marriages and relationships are, are destroyed because it takes so much effort. Because the per, it's, it, it, what is it, what you call high maintenance relationship? It's about them. Mm-hmm, mm, dysfunctional, amen, amen. They're people who want you to be to them what their father should have been. My mother was there. My mother had been there. I ain't your mother. I'm your sister. I can't be what your mother should have been. I can't be your father. I can't heal your deepest wounds. That's not my job. That's God's job. Don't be talking about you don't make me happy. That's not anybody else's job. The Bible says that rejoice in the Lord again. I say rejoice in him. My joy, the center of my joy is not who I have on my arm. It's not what I have in my pocket. It's not how healthy I am on any given day. I don't care if it's raining or snow, whatever it is. The center of my joy is the his name is Jesus. There are people who will make you feel like it's somehow your responsibility. This blew my mind. I heard this. When a man loves a woman, yeah, I heard that. The worst thing that that woman could do to that man is not be mean, but to be indifferent to his love. The worst thing that you can do is to have someone come home to a miserable spirit. You're miserable. You're unhappy. You toe up from the your neck up. You tore up from the neck up. And this guy's coming in, and everything that he knows to do, to do, he tries it, but nothing ever seems to get you past what it is you think he or she should be doing to make your day. The worst thing that you can do to somebody who loves you is to be indifferent to their love by acting like they did something to you when they didn't. How much does it cause to smile? I'm going to say, I, I can't, I should show up to the church, show up to home, the least you can do is to celebrate the fact that the person made it home safely. Somebody say amen. Now, why was Jonah upset? I talked about the enemy part, but we're going to dig a little deeper. It's interesting, starting in verse 2, it says, Oh, Lord, is, it, is, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That it, was, that 
it, that is why I made haste to flee from torture. Now he's justifying his sin to disobey God. I knew you were going to do what you did. You weren't going to do what I wanted you to do, so I decided. And he says, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding, quoting scripture. Love and you relent, you, you withhold judgment, you delay, you reconsider from disaster. Therefore now, O oh Lord, please take my life from me. Kill me, for it's better for me that I die than to live. Notice that in those, three, in those verses, two through five, in the Hebrew text, Jonah uses the personal pronoun nine times. He says, I, my, and me, I, my, and me. When you talk to people and all they say, and all the conversation, keep going back to I, my, and me, I, my, and me, I, my, and me, I, my, and me, guess what? It's, a, it, it's, it's their world. You need to catch folks who are like that. There are people like that. Just go, go. I don't. You be talking about, yeah, my mother's dying, and they just evicted my family, and then they go, I, I, am I? No, 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 no. This ain't about. Can I tell you that I'm in pain right now? Can you get the knife out of my back right now? And then I'll turn around and get the. But if you spend most of your conversations talking about yourself. The smallest package is the one that is wrapped with you. That's the smallest package. When you're talking to people, you don't have to top, you don't have to have a story to top theirs. You don't, just listen. It's all right. And so he goes eight, nine times into the pronoun I, my, and me. When you are depressed about the will of God for your life, it's no longer about him. It's about you. He wanted to die. Why are you depressed? Well, they just give me a real hard time. God says, while you're in the world, you will what? You're going to have trials and you're going to have trouble. It's, it's a hard knock life. It comes with the job description. Let me share two things quickly about why he was so upset that, he, that these Assyrians got saved. First of all, he, ref he was refusing to serve those who he, he perceived as his enemies. He fled to Tarsus because he didn't want to deal with the Assyrians. How do you talk about and treat people that you feel that are your enemies? When you find out that somebody don't like you, they don't treat you the way you want to be treated. How, so Jonah decided that he wasn't going to go to Nineveh because these were his enemies, and therefore he had the right to withhold, to withhold the love of God. When you, when you are confronted with people who intentionally try to hurt you, intentionally try to get joy out of your pain, how do you respond to them? When you respond to them in kind, when you become vindictive and revengeful and unforgiving, guess who it's about? It's not about God anymore. It's about you. 
How could you say that? If it's nine four nine two four, because the Bible says, "Love your enemies." We keep going back there. We can quote that. Love your enemies. By this, men will know that you're my disciples, because you know how to quote the scriptures. Because you pray. Because you because you hang around a bunch of Christians. No, no. He says you'll know that you're my disciples by how you love one another. We need to understand that the same God that poured his love into our hearts also had to deal with us. We were enemies to God, but even in our sin, when we were running from God, he sent Jesus. He refused to serve perceived enemies. When you think that someone, when God says, if your enemy is thirsty, give him something to drink. When they're hungry, you should what? Feed them. You said, Lord, I am, but I'm hoping they starve or, 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 or have dehydration before I get around to it. That's about you. See, anybody can act like that when you're in the flesh. But when you conduct yourself in the power of the Spirit of God, you can actually embrace those who are nailing you to your cross. He also, here's another little issue. He resented the impartiality of God. He said, I know you are gracious to those who believe and repent. God, you're no respecter of person. You don't care what color they are, what their situation is. You are whosoever will, let him come. You don't tell people to give them. You accept them just as they are. Whosoever says, you got, I knew you were going to do that. And he had, a, his issue was, it's okay when it's me that's receiving your impartiality. When it's me that's getting your mercy. When it's me that you're patient with. When Jonah was on the, in the belly of the great fish, the Bible said he cried out to God. Lord, I, I know that I sinned. I did wrong. Help me, Lord. And when you get me out, I'm going to tell everybody that I serve a good God. I'm going to tell everybody that I once was lost. No, he was just, and the Lord, the Bible says, and God caused the great fish to vomit Jonah up with all that acid reflux onto dry land. Jonah didn't say, oh, God, don't, 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 don't forgive me. Don't have mercy on me. Keep your grace. I don't deserve it. He deserved judgment. And so do we. And we freely accept God's forgiveness. We accept his mercy, his forbearance. We, we, come on, God, pour it on now. We didn't, come on, we know. I, I did some terrible stuff, but come on, God, I'm your child. And your mercies are new every day. And great is your faithfulness. You know God is good. But when he does the same thing or, or puts you in a position where you need to forgive somebody, where you need to be merciful and show grace, we get like Jonah. We quoting scripture back at God. I knew you were gracious. I knew you were patient. He will tell God off with his own word. You talking about carnality. When you're in your flesh, you're crazy. I'm crazy. When you let yourself decide, I am offended and I'm not going to. He ain't getting away with it this time. You're acting like Jonah. When you freely accept 
and expect God's forgiveness for yourself, but withhold it from others, it's no longer about God. We need to quit it. Because it's hypocritical. You're fraud. You're perpetrating. I don't care how big your head is and how, how fancy your, your shout is and how many Oshilakanda bootshakalakas you can speak. This is where it really counts. Do you forgive people who injure you? Are you like God when you don't want to be like God? Are you surrendering to the spirit of God? I ain't talking about how you testified in church. I'm talking about how you act when you're at home. He is a God of a second chance. Aren't you glad about that? Well, I know some of you ain't never sinned. I, I know some of you don't make any mistakes. But as for me and my house, I'm so glad that it doesn't matter. Whatever I do, if I'm genuinely repentant, I can run into the arms of the Lord who will forgive me. Because he said if I confess my sin, he's faithful. I'm not faithful. He's faithful. Jonah understood theology. His problem was he didn't act out his theology. We know the Bible. He quotes it back to the Lord. Who are you withholding forgiveness from? What tapes do you have on somebody's past behaviors that you dust off every time you want to put a whooping on somebody? To remind them that you didn't forget what they did, which says that you never forgave. You can forgive what you don't forget. And when you forgive what you can't forget, you're acting like God. And when you, when you, when you, when you, when you, do, you don't forget it, even though God says, I remove your sins as far as east from the west, and I put them in the sea of forgetfulness, God says, I choose not to remember. That's what it means. You know what happened, but you choose not to ponder on it. You choose not to linger there. You choose not to use it as admonition. You choose not to use it as your agenda. Who are you withholding grace from? Who do you want God to punish? Why is it so important that you get to be right? I'll tell you why. It's about you. <laughs> it needs to be about him. All right, we're almost done. You with me? Now, how does God respond to self-centeredness? Let's call it selfishness. First of all, he'll confront you personally. The Lord said, is it right for you to be angry? See, when we're self-centered and you get challenged by what we're doing and we feel justified to do it, we start saying, if, but, no, the Lord says, Jonah, is it right for you? He gets real personal. He gets right into your, in your world, right in your kitchen. Is it right for you, Jonah? Now, how does he do it? He does it through the conviction of the Holy Spirit. One of the ministries of the Holy Spirit, when you say, the Bible says he will convict you of sin. It's sin to make it about you. 
And what the, here's, the, here's, the, here's the penalty of that. As long as it's not about the Lord, you're going to always be in yourself. And you'll never be able to truly worship the Lord in freedom. You'll never understand what it means that the, liber with the, liber the Spirit of the Lord is there's liberty. You're all in bondage and torment and you're hindering. You can't run on. You're crawling when you should be running because until you respond to the conviction of the Holy Spirit, you should never let anybody have that kind of the kind of power over you that keeps the agenda about you rather than him. So he'll convict you with the Holy Spirit. He'll use the word. He spoke to Jonah. Is it okay for you to hold a grudge? Is it okay for you to be unforgiving? Is it okay for you to keep saying what you're going to do and you don't ever do it? Did you know that procrastination is a sin? Did you know to withhold? You don't have to say anything mean to anybody. Just don't say something kind. Just withhold kindness. Act like the person's not even in the room. I remember uh, going to shake a lady's hand. I'd taken her. She'd taken a job. I'd moved on to another job. To another company. Went to shake her hand, and she walked right past me. Refused to shake my hand. So... Me and my sanctified self. <laughs> I called her on the phone. I still remember my old number. I said, when I, I met you today, my name's Tony, and I'm told that you're a Christian. She said, I am. I have actually, uh, I'm a woman of the cloth. I said, okay. <laughs> I wanted to say, what cloth are you talking about? <laughs> I said that uh, when I, put my hand out for you to shake it. You walk past me. Help me to understand what would cause you to do that. And I was concerned by her response that the woman had died on the other end because she was shocked that I, I called her out on it. Here's the thing that the Lord is teaching me. If stuff is bothering you and it potentially can hinder your relationship with your wife or your children or the leaders. You need to deal with it. It ain't going away. It just gets worse. And then the devil just sows seeds of discord. Don't, don't, this ain't that kind of church where you have to, uh, I know the pastor don't like me or this and, and you know you can't say it. No! We want to deal with stuff here. We ain't playing that game. We ain't playing that game. You know, you got to play pay politics and let me talk to her so she can talk to him and I'm going to get it. No, 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 that ain't the way it is here. We ain't going through that nonsense. I know what it's like to be begging and get you, please let me talk to you today and don't turn you. No, 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 no. So she ended up saying, you know what, I'm so sorry. I didn't see your hand. Okay. Now you're lying. <laughs> but, but she understood that as, and I went, in, I went in, I said, you know, as Christians, the Bible says if someone offends you, you should go to them. And that's what I'm going, obviously, I, if somebody, I said, now, unless you have allergic, allergy to germs or something, but I was, I challenged her. But God, you, sometimes we need to confront people, not for confrontation. The Bible said, go to them. Go to them. You done built a case up, you done put them, you done, you done, you done made, you done chose the charges, you done got the jury, and you're not the, you don't need a jury, you done convicted them and sentenced them to life imprisonment in your mind, and you've not talked to them once. 
Here's another thing that the Lord does. He asked Jonah the question, is it right for you to be angry? Jonah just walked off. The Bible says he left, left Nineveh, and he just walked. He never answered God's question. Now watch this. Here's what God does in verses 5 through 7. We're going to get through this. He consistently pursues us even when we're fleeing. You know what I would have done if I was God? Okay, is it like that? You're just going to walk off. You know how it is. You're talking to your children, and they just turn their back on you, and they start walking away. When I, If I ever thought to do that, I knew something, some kind of hard object was coming towards my head, and it wasn't going to be child abuse. It was going to be, you better get it fixed, and it ain't going to be no hospital fixing it. I'll give you a Band-Aid, but I don't care if you need 15, 17. You walked away from me. Jonah went out of the city and he sat on the east side of the city. Jonah left the place where he was assigned to serve, but the same God who assigned him pursued his wayward son. Watch this. When it's about you, you will quit what God told you to do. I ain't going back to that church no more. My name ain't on the bulletin. I didn't get to sing my solo. You can't sing. But I ain't, ain't letting me sing. I want to do my dancing. It's the last time I'm going to do something. I only get a little applause. I could barely hear it. If you stop patting yourself on the back, maybe you'd hear the applause. When it's about you, you can quit. But when God told you to do it, you ain't going nowhere. Pastor Benson put his foot in his mouth again. He don't even know my name. He got the words wrong or whatever. You, 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 if you're here because of me, you're here for the wrong reason. You ought to be here because the Lord has put you in this place. It's not about me. And it sure ain't about you. I don't know how many people that have joined the church up the street. So they they so angry that they didn't get their way wherever they were. Now they go somewhere and do nothing. They just sit in the audience and get entertained. And they're cool with that as long as it doesn't go past 12 o'clock. Because we got to drive a distance to see the game. Jonah only seemed to pray when he needed something from God. Sometimes we don't quit the ministry. We just stop serving in excellence. I ain't going to work. I ain't putting it in like that. I ain't going to break no sweat. They They don't appreciate what I'm doing. Every sermon, every sermon, I don't care if two people show up. I'm going to do what God told me to do, and I'm going to preach to you like there's a million people here. Because this is what God has called me to do. And so what God does when he deals with us for making it about us, he will confront us, he will consistently pursue us, and then when we don't respond, he will chasten us. 
verses 7 through 8, the Bible said, but in the morning, when the morning dawned the next day, God prepared a worm. Jonah's sleeping comfortably on the side of the hill. God had given this, this bush to cover him from the sun, his bald head with all that acid on his body. Got skin disease looking like Beetlejuice. And he's laying out there mad at God, talking about he want to die. So God gives him a comfortable place, a breeze. And then in the morning, God sent a worm. God sent, the, God sent the plant, God put the pillow, God sent the breeze. Jonah was cool with that. But when God sent the worm, the worm caused the bush or the covering for Jonah to die. And then the sun started beaming down on his bald head. And he woke up and he was mad again. <laughs> what happened to my house? What happened to my pillow? Where's my remote? You still got food and refrigerator. You haven't lost your house. Your wife ain't packed up and left your crazy self. But you need this mad. <laughs> what he didn't understand that God removed his comfort because he was chastening him. The Bible says, do not despise the chastening of the Lord. Because God chastens those who he loves. He disciplines those who he loves. And so when God confronts us and consistently pursues us to bring us to a point of repentance and we don't repent, what you thought was bad luck, no, that's God whooping your butt. That ain't bad luck. When you belong to him, he will spank you. He will, that, that sounds better, doesn't it? He will discipline you. He will deal with you. He, okay. All right. When it's about you, you love things more than you love people. Jonah was more upset that the plant died than he was about 120,000 people going to hell. We get more upset that the eagles lose. We ain't saying what's going to happen next time or next week. But if they do lose, where will your joy be? Does it bother you when you know members of your family don't know Jesus? Does it break your heart that people are dying every day without having a relationship with Christ? I want you to know we love things more than we love. We'd be more upset about losing cable than we are about people losing their souls to hell and separated from God for eternity. Most church budgets... The, the lowest amount that they give is to missions and to evangelism. That's why Jesus came. That's why Jesus came. That's our mission, to make disciples. Our heart should be God's heart. Somebody say amen. All right, we're almost done. Here's the last thing. He, he will chase, chasten you, consistently pursue, and confront this violent thing. He'll close down your ministry. The word of the Lord could have been written. The words that could have been written over jo uh, Jonah's tombstone was, you should have pitied the Ninevites. Those words could have been on his tombstone. I wonder what, be, what would be your epitaph. What would be your legacy? What would be your, if God was to write an epitaph on your, on your gravestone? It could be, for many of us, you should have. You should have. All the things that God has told us to do, 
doesn't intend for you to go to heaven until the assignment is done. But some of us are going to go to heaven with a lot of unfinished work. And so what happens is he says to Jonah, is it okay for, the, for, for, the, for, the, for me to provide the plant and then take the plant, but it's not okay for me to save those who are, that are dearest and nearest to my heart? Jonah never responded. Guess what? After Jonah chapter 4, you never, he, he, you never hear of Jonah again in terms of him preaching and teaching. He was done. God fired Jonah. Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 9, verse 27. He says, I buffet my body so lest after I have tried to serve, I become disqualified. You can become disqualified from serving in the gifts that God has given you because you never used them or because you made it about you and not him. God will put us right on, this, on, on the bench. How do you make it about him rather than you? Can we finish with this? Here's one thing that you can do. Stop comparing yourself with other Christians. It's really interesting when men get in a room together. I'm not going to tell, go into too many things about women, what we do. But the last time I, I saw a minister I hadn't seen for a long time, the first thing he tried to do is break my hand when he shook it. I wanted to slide him. I wanted to go down to my ankles in the name of the Lord. How in the world? First of all, I wasn't prepared for that. So there's this thing, this macho, uh, you know, uh, what is it, testosterone, testosterone, trying to, you know, you're going to prove how strong you are. You, you in your 40s, knock it off. We don't fight with our hands anymore. It's knives and guns, okay? So just, just knock this macho stuff off. Stop trying to compare yourself. Who's the tallest? Who's the fastest? Who can jump over trains and planes? We don't do that no more. <laughs> we watch people do crazy stuff. Stop seeking praise from others. You are not what people judge you to be. We need, to be, we need to understand that you don't have to be perfect. Stop allowing people. They are not the standard Jesus is. Remember, we are co-laborers, not competitors. We're not in competition. You don't have to have the best website. You don't have to have the best email. You don't have to have the best pictures. And I don't want to see your pictures. Keep your pictures. If, 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 you, have, if you have a function... And you have, I want to see the church. I want to see everybody. I don't want to just see you. Okay, and if other people are participating in the activity, let other people be seen. Okay? All right, give everybody their little day in the sun. <laughs> Forgive others as God continuously forgives you. How dare you withhold forgiveness? Shame on you. Stop living by your feelings. Stop it. Stop it. I feel, okay, oh, here we go. I feel. Okay. Stop expecting people to do what only God can do or should do for you. Stop it. Your husband can't be your daddy. Your wife can't be your mammy. Your mother, your mother, your mother. You'll remember that. That's why I said it that way. You'll remember that. 
Be accountable to a godly friend. Somebody ought to be able to tell you the truth about you. Ask the question. When you get ready to send that email out, that Facebook, I don't know how many times I've wanted to respond right in the moment in my flesh. I ask myself the question, does this glorify God or elevate me? Why am I doing this? If it's about to show somebody I ain't taking it, you ain't going to who you, guess what? That ain't God. I'm done. One more, one more. Repent. <laughs> Stand up. Repent. You all know the story. The king who had no clothes. You can be so blind to self-centeredness and having it your way that you don't know that you are completely clothed but naked. Let me just put it like that. You don't have a stitch of clothes on. Now here's the deal. Everybody who knows you knows you don't have no clothes on. They just are afraid. They don't want to get in no argument with you. They ain't trying to get in no debate. They ain't trying to go there. They ain't trying to let you wreck their day. They just let you walk around butt naked in your birthday suit. And then somebody who shouldn't even know that you're that way says to you, where are your clothes at? Why you act like this? Why you bring that here? Why you get on the boat and Jonah said, I'm a preacher. And they said, well, why did you do this to us? What have we done to you? So when you go and making it about you and not the Lord, there are people whose souls are at stake because you're so focused on yourself, you can't even reach them for Christ. And so here we are, totally bare before the Lord. He sees everything. And the people that know us best, are you willing to be clothed? Are you willing to make it about him? Are you sick and tired of hitting the same wall, hearing the same thing? You done changed jobs. You done gotten married 15 times. You done done everything you know. It's all, and then now you keep here, you go, the same, same story. Are you willing to make it about him? And when you do, you will walk in freedom, and you will be able to celebrate what, what God celebrates. Father, in Jesus.